Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I am an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser, and I'm also an editor at Light Reading. I'm Manoj Leelani Was, Executive Vice President, Chief Operating Officer, Juniper Networks. Manoj, thank you so much for joining us today and taking out the time from uh, from doing your normal business of operating an entire company. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, Phil and Kelsey. You've had a few roles inside of Let's cover this first. You've had a few roles inside of Juniper over the years. Um, so how long have you been with the company? And then give us, because uh, I know we've talked when you were in a more product-centric role a couple of years ago, but what's what, what's been the the sort of the traje- your trajectory inside of Juniper? So this is my second round at Juniper. With my first round at Juniper, I was in the early startup days of Juniper. So I was there for I was here for about 10 years, uh, 10, 12 years before I, you know, founded my own startup and then, you know, later sold that company and came back to Juniper. Um, you know, it's been about four years, so uh, roughly about four years. Um, and started off in this new tenor at Juniper running all of the products of the company, then added marketing to the portfolio, uh, and now have all of the, you know, the new businesses we have created, uh, the acquisitions and everything, all of the products, engineering, marketing, uh, sales elements of that. So it's a much more broader um, role as a chief operating officer for the company, driving the business direction and overall operations for the company. Yeah, they continue to give you more stuff to do, so that's a good, uh, always a good sign. Um, it's also it's also also a very normal thing in Silicon Valley that people uh, will leave companies and come back. You know, it's 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 very much it, it's amazing. Like when you go to the uh, to sort of uh, I don't know like trade shows and cocktail parties that are sort of regional in focus, um, you 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 find out that everyone already knows everyone <laughs> at a certain level. Um, Anyway, uh, let's see. Let, let's get to uh, why we have you on the podcast. So, uh, Juniper, this is back, um, you know, a couple, I'm going to say, it, se- it seems like the first part of July was when this broke or when this came out, that Juniper talked, uh, announced its cloud metro uh, product line. Uh, or, you know, they said they, the company said it was building a new generation of cloud metro infrastructure. So first of all, let's talk about sort of what what all that entails. And then I, I really want to kind of, uh, you know, talk about what the technology direction of this product line is and what it, you know, kind of what it means for service providers. Um, absolutely, Phil. So first and foremost, you know, why all this, you know, talk about the new age of the cloud metro or the new age of metro? You look at uh, the marketplace and the world we live in, one constant thing is change, right? There is a proliferation of a huge amount of new devices. There's bandwidth to the end user increasing like crazy. And, you know, you have applications and workloads moving to the cloud uh, to any of those hyperscalers or, you know, even the SaaS companies. There's a lot of movement of applications and workloads happening. And, uh, you know, network operators are now facing new challenges because the traffic patterns are shifting. Uh, traditionally, all of the traffic used to be in the core of the network, but now because of these, you know, end-user behavior change and the cloud providers and the cloud workloads, the metro is becoming the big traffic pool, right? And the traditional metro networks, which has been built, you know, 10 years ago, uh, is not actually sustainable anymore because the traffic growth is expected from 2021 to 2027 is expected to be about 500% growth in the metro network. You know, the old brittle networks are not going to cut it. And at the same time, 
because of the constant shift and changes of you know services needed at the edge, the services are also moving towards the metro. So you need agility, you need speed, you need performance. And at the same time, there is this huge you know people shortage also that's happening, right? So you've got to have something which is highly automated, highly agile, highly ready for the next generation, right? That is the inflection happening in the metro, and that is why cloud metro is actually very, very vital for the change of the industry or to take advantage of the change of the industry. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's also some um, sustainability aspects to the Cloud Metro launch. Can you talk a little bit about um, how Cloud Metro fits in with um, Juniper's own sustainability strategies and, and also just in general why it's important uh, for a company like Juniper to focus on sustainability? Great question, Kelsey. So I'll just uh, cover a little bit about what Cloud Metro entails together and then go into the sustainability elements. Uh, Cloud Metro con- consists of you know, a set of you know, highly scalable, high performance, you know, a range of platforms from you know, one RU range to you know, 22 RU range, fixed and modular platforms, but they're all managed with a AI-enabled cloud-delivered service on top. Uh, everything is plug and play, right? You know, all you need to do is scan the QR code of these devices and they automatically connect to the cloud and it's up and ready and running. The network is self-provisioning. Uh, and then on top of it, we also have a service assurance capability to make sure that the network is working as functioning, uh, as it's supposed to function. And last but not the least is that, you know, it also provides, you know, built-in zero trust security, you know, right? Uh, in terms of you know, making sure that the device cannot be compromised. There is a constant way to check for the security posture of the device in the network from the cloud. So a combination of a set of amazing platforms, a completely cloud-delivered control point in terms of managing and monitoring the network, great service assurance capability, and zero trust security. All these elements together in this cloud network portfolio. And now, to answer your question specifically on sustainability, if you look at how we have designed this, um, the overall sustainability element comes in three buckets for us. First is, what is the business value we're delivering to the customer? And second, what from a people perspective, and third, the plant. So all three aspects, and I'm going to cover that. First is from a business value perspective, you know, reducing the overall long-term capex, and most importantly, opex. You know, opex for service providers, avoiding the truck rolls, avoiding that huge you know carbon footprint because you have to go and fix things out there. Right? We are able to reduce the TCO by about fifty, from somewhere between fifty and seventy percent TCO. This is you know, eliminating 90% of the trouble tickets before they happen, right? This means that, you know, you don't need that many people to look at this mundane aspects. You don't need those structural. So eliminating all that carbon footprint, which is unnecessarily being spent. And at the same time, you know, we are putting in, putting this design in such a modular, future-proof fashion that, you know, the life cycles can be extended by another four to seven years. So it's a long-term investment. So, you know, things are going to be around for a long more period of time. And, you know, you also give the ability to offer differentiated services on top, right? So that's the entire business value. In terms of people, you know, if you look at the retro metro solution or the traditional metro solution, right, you know, there has been challenges, the aging technical workforce, you know, compromised knowledge transfer, and, you know, increasingly the work-life balance in the post-pandemic world of ours, right? All of these are becoming a big problem. And... The AI and cloud-delivered automation actually simplifies this mundane work stream. So people can actually focus on actually more satisfying work, like service creation, right? And services can be deployed much more quickly and securely, and again, you know, further streamlining workloads, right? 
So the ability to reduce these trouble tickets and you know, give that optimized experience is huge from a people perspective. And last but not least, the most important part of sustainability comes from a planet perspective, right? This is where I'm super proud about the capability of this product, right? You know, if you look at the, uh, the modular products we have, we have removable modular power shelves. And this has actually achieved the titanium grade rating for the clear result, you know, the independent body clear result, in, you know, who's actually doing the grading for power efficiency. And this is because we can actually have this modular power shelf extent life cycle for the product and avoid the e-waste. And power management is such that, you know, it can shut off features and components when it's not needed so that actually overall power is actually utilized in a very wise fashion. And even you know, cooling, if you look at you know, product cooling, because of the, the design innovation, it's significantly, you know, different from what the, any of the traditional products are. Okay, example, you know, you look at a larger slot pitch or a vertical motor design, things like that, which actually enable cooling to be done much more efficiently. So overall, the power and the sustainability elements and avoiding e-waste is unprecedented. So on all three fronts, business value, people, and planet, this is a game-changing thing from a sustainability perspective. And you mentioned e-waste a few times, and that's the idea of, um, you know, like, uh, I guess, going through uh, products and, and hardware really quickly and generating these, um, you know, just old old products and devices that we're not interested in using anymore. And I think the most common one we probably would think of would be cell phones and upgrade. And then what do you do with the old one that doesn't work or that you can't get any money from the service provider for? Is that kind of an accurate representation of, of what e-waste is? Uh, absolutely. I think it comes from, you know, cell phone devices to, you know, the iPads and everything we have all the way to all of these larger equipment, the routers, switches, you know, servers, all of that encompasses. And if we think through the design properly where, you know, uh, you can actually keep certain parts longer, you know, because they don't need to change that often. And if you design it in such a modular, you know, fashion, you can actually preserve components which can last for like six, seven, ten years, and you know elements which can last for seven, ten years, and some components which need to change much faster. Some parts of it. So you know, in many ways, you know, if you look at the the the, the project from SpaceX, right? You know, the fact that you know we can reuse uh, you know components, you know, in a rocket launch, right? That was the big innovation. In a similar fashion, uh, you know, we are eliminating the complete waste of you know products which used to be a router typically used to be like four or five years of you know, especially a metro switch or a metro router using four or five years and then people throw it away, put another switch in, right? The amount of e-waste there was like horrendous. And now extending life to you know, six, seven, 10 years of the footprint, but change the parts which you need to change in terms of performance and agility, right? So that modular design, and then the ability to kind of monitor everything from the cloud, not just, uh, you know, the usage and the network monitoring and making sure it's easy for the customer to kind of deploy stuff and manage network, but also looking at things which are doing the right sort of power consumption the right way and things which are kind of going aberrant. And you can actually determine that much more fast than you know, what was possible before. So it's a multiple fronts, this can actually reduce e-waste. Uh, e-waste is one of the biggest challenges we, we are facing the planet today. And this is a small, but an important step in the right direction. Do you think it will, <clears throat> it will ever rise to the uh, level of being talked about on earnings conference calls uh, because it seems like all the metrics that 
you know, Wall Street is using to evaluate a company have nothing to do with um, what it's throwing away. They're they're all, they're only looking at you know how much are you selling, how much are you getting paid for recurring. Uh, so the software business, obviously, the more the more you can tie your platforms to cloud or software, you know, re- recurring revenue through software, the the better. Those are all in the positive category, but they don't seem to. There doesn't seem to be a way for uh, companies to, uh, you know, other than you know marketing and talking about it. There doesn't seem to be a way for companies to properly uh, tout when they've done something on the other side and simply reduced, uh, you know, the amount of stuff that people are throwing away, or like you said, product innovation, where they've created, created products that are modular enough that you don't have to swap out entire things. You can just swap out, you know, small pieces at a time. Um, cause I know that stuff matters on the, you know, from the planetary sense, but you know, it's, it, it especially, like I said, especially, uh, in the, in the, community of folks that are sort of, you know, uh, buying into your company literally and, you know, buying shares that, they, that doesn't ever seem to be a discussion. Do you find, do you find that that's, uh, something that could change soon or, you know, do you feel like you, you, you deserve more credit for that? I think very important, uh, you know, question there because, um, Wall Street may not directly care for that, but it indirectly cares for that. And let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, most recently, I was talking to one of our largest, uh, you know, service provider customers, as well as one of our largest enterprise customers. Uh, if you're looking at how they are procuring, you know, the next generation network, uh, there are three things which are important for each category. Right. Number one is it has to be, you know, highly automated, highly AI-driven, you know, kind of self-driving in many ways, so that they can save a lot on the traditional people cost for things which you've done on the mundane work. And the second thing, number two on the list was sustainability, you know, uh, reducing e-waste, you know, looking at carbon footprint, you know, the company being carbon neutral. For instance, Juniper has put a bold step saying that we're going to be carbon neutral by 2025. Those things are very important. The power, the cooling, the usage, the ability to shut off things which are not in use, all of those are becoming an important criteria for CIOs in the enterprise, as well as large CTOs in telco and cloud providers to make decisions. So Number two is, is becoming much more important than before. It's actually up in the first set of requirements. So indirectly, it actually plays into plays into benefiting you know uh, us and Wall Street, you know, of course Wall Street how they look at things because to make to to actually sell something and make dollars, you need the customer to buy it. Right? It's one of the purchasing criteria is going to be this. It really helps with the overall revenue and profitability of the company. So that's the indirect benefit to Wall Street. Uh, but they also there is also direct benefit which you outlined really well, Phil. You know, which is that uh, we are driving an experience based vision as a company to kind of drive things more towards the cloud. We have been very successful in the enterprise space uh, based with the mist based product lines. You know, which actually makes it so easy for deployment. You know, ninety percent of the target tickets vanish in our customers because it's completely AI driven. And so everything in the campus now is, you know, misdriven, where Wi-Fi, LAN, SD-WAN, everything comes to a single point, a single control point, which makes it super easy for our customers, you know, from the largest, you know, Fortune 1 customer to, you know, a set of small customers, they are singing amazing praises. And in many ways, we are using the same parallel in the service provider industry to kind of create this amazing set of products, large amount of metro products, you know, you know, deploying the thousands, 
and you're managing everything from the cloud. And you know, by doing that, we make it simple, we make it very automated, and at the same time, it also generates recurring re revenue, right? So it actually appeals to the Wall Street too, your first point you mentioned. So sustainability matters as an indirect aspect because CIOs are making it a big requirement. CIOs and CTOs are making it a big requirement. And second, the cloud-oriented thing helps with the huge automation and all the TCO savings, plus the recurring revenue value also increases. So Wall Street actually likes two things, which is directly connected to this, and one thing is indirectly connected to this, which is sustainability. Yeah, I'll have to give you credit for, for taking that and pulling it into the total cost of ownership discussion, because I know that even if service providers aren't calling that, uh, calling out sustainability in their, um, uh, you know, whether they do RFPs or um, strongly worded emails, whatever their <laughs> their method of procurement is these days, um, the the I do know that TCO is definitely a big component of that. So the more you tie sustainability into TCO, I guess it kind of indirectly educates them or, or pushes them in that direction. Even though, like I said, I, I'm not aware of them pounding the table for that necessarily. Um, but, but I do know that, that anytime you give them something that's going to be a lower cost over a 10 year or five year life cycle, they're all ears. So that makes sense. Uh, Kelsey, any follow-ups? And, we, and I've got one more kind of line of questioning that's similar, but not exactly uh, the same. Yeah, mine was um, a little bit um, tangential, but uh, you mentioned um, zero trust security earlier and was curious um, just to hear more about why it was important to go down the um, zero trust route and, and what that kind of looks like for uh, protecting your customers' networks. Yeah, zero trust security, you know, whether it's in the data center, whether it's client to cloud is super important as an overall network perspective. But in the context of cloud metro, zero trust comes in a couple of ways, right? You know, number one is, um, you know, having a, a ability in the, a, a chip in the device to kind of figure out, okay, uh, is everything, you know, signed correctly? If, you know, are the new upgrades coming from the right source and whatnot to make sure that, you know, can validate the identity because these are networks which are going to be running you know, very mission critical stuff too, right? So we want to make sure that, you know, software upgrades, you know, things which are in the system, they cannot be compromised that easily. So that's it, there's a device ID part of it. And increasingly, I think, you know, the world is becoming a very complex place with what's happening in the geopolitical thing, right? Every country is trying to get an advantage over every other country through a variety of different means. And so the more we protect um, our country as well as our customers in terms of, you know, uh, where things are super important. And then not everything can be solved with a, a device ID or a chip in the box, right? You know, you also need to constantly monitor. So this is where, you know, a cloud-based solution has the ability to check the security posture of the device, of the network, of the particular customer a little bit more proactively because we can constantly monitor and see changing situations. So I think so there is a security posture check which is also part of the solution. And both of these are important because the world is a very different place from what it used to be 10, 15 years ago. You know, we cannot just trust certain things anymore. We have to help empower our customers and, you know, broaden, you know, our nation as well as the friendly nations to be, you know, winning in this battle long term. So anything we can do as a vendor to help them with that, it's super important. That sounds good. Um, before we let you go, I do want to point our audience to this because we are, uh, we don't have time to dive into it now, but it is uh, worth reading and it's a, uh, 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 got some good detail in there. Back in April of this year, um, uh, our 
sister company, Heavy Reading, or, or the analyst over there, um, did a survey of uh, communication service providers and talked about uh, some of the drivers for modernizing the metro network and also um, some of the uh, drivers behind uh, network automation, what the payoffs were, what the benefits are, that sort of thing. And these are um, you know, service providers responding to a heavy reading survey, and then it was summarized. So we'll link to the white paper that was there. Juniper sponsored this uh, bit of research, so that's why I'm bringing it up, because it does kind of go hand in hand with with the discussion here. But in particular, uh, you know, I, I was interested in sort of folks digging into, um, you know, this whole idea of implementing automation everywhere in the network and really what what the service providers, how the service providers view that, uh, you know, that as, as uh, you know, what the reasons behind it are, and then also like why, um, you know, what they think they're going to do first, second, third, that sort of thing. I thought, I thought that was a, a, a pretty, pretty interesting findings. And our, our colleague Sterling Perrin breaks that all down in his, uh, uh, in his paper. So uh, I want to point everybody to that. And uh, uh, Manoush, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I, like I said, realize you've got a company to run and uh, we do <laughs> we do appreciate you pausing and uh, giving us a bit of time we do appreciate it thank you for having me phil and kelsey yeah thank you so much